The Fifth Mansion, Chapter 1, From the Interior Castle, by Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording, read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle, or the Mansions, by St. Teresa of Avila, translated by the Benedictines of Stanbrook. Oh, my sisters, how shall I describe the riches, treasures, and joys contained in the fifth mansions? Would it not be better to say nothing about them? They are impossible to depict, nor can the mind conceive, nor any comparisons portray them, all earthly things being too vile to serve the purpose. Send me, O oh my Lord, light from heaven, that I may give some to these thy servants, some of whom by thy good will, often enjoy these delights, lest the devil in the guise of an angel of light should deceive those whose only desire is to please thee. I said some, but in reality there are very few who never enter this mansion, some more and some less, but most of them may be said at least to gain admittance into these rooms. I think that certain graces I am about to describe are bestowed on only a few of the nuns, but if the rest only arrive at the portal, they receive a great boon from God, for many are called, but few are chosen. All we who wear the holy habit of the Carmelites are called to prayer and contemplation. This was the object of our order. To this lineage we belong. Our holy fathers of Mount Carmel sought in perfect solitude and under contempt of the world for this treasure, this precious pearl of which we speak, and we are their descendants. How little do most of us care to prepare our souls that our Lord may reveal this jewel to us. Outwardly, we may appear to practice the requisite virtues, but we have far more to do than this before it is possible to attain to contemplation to gain, which we should neglect no means, either small or great. Rouse yourselves, my sisters, and since some foretaste of heaven may be had on earth, beg our Lord to give us grace not to miss it through our own fault. Ask him to show us where to find it. Ask him to give us strength of soul to dig until we find this hidden treasure, which lies buried within our hearts, as I wish to show you if it please God to enable me. I said strength of soul, that you might understand that strength of body is not indispensable when our Lord chooses to withhold it. He makes it impossible for no one to gain these riches, but is content that each should do his best. Blessed be so just a God. But daughters, if you would purchase this treasure of which we are speaking, God would have you keep nothing back from him, little or great. He will have it all. In proportion to what you know you have given, will your reward be great or small? There is no more certain sign whether or not we have reached the prayer of union. Do not imagine that this state of prayer is like the one preceding it, a sort of drowsiness. I call it drowsiness because the soul seems to slumber, being neither quite asleep nor wholly awake. In the prayer of union, the soul is asleep, fast asleep, as regards the world and itself. In fact, during the short time this state lasts, it is deprived of all feeling whatever, being unable to think of any subject, even if it wished. No effort is needed here to suspend the thoughts. If the soul can love, it knows not how, 
nor whom it loves, nor what it desires. In fact, it has died entirely to this world, to live more truly than ever in God. This is a delicious death, for the soul is deprived of all the faculties it exercised while in the body. Delicious, because, although not really the case, it seems to have left its mortal covering to abide more entirely in God. So completely does this take place that I know not whether the body retains sufficient life to continue breathing. On consideration, I believe it does not. At any rate, if it still breathes, it does so unconsciously. The mind entirely concentrates itself on trying to understand what is happening, which is beyond its power. It is so astounded that if consciousness is not completely lost, at least no movement is possible. A person may be compared to one who falls into a dead faint with dismay. Oh, mighty secrets of God, never should I weary of trying to explain them if I thought it possible to succeed. I would write a thousand foolish things that one might be to the point, if only it might make us praise God more. I said this prayer produced no drowsiness in the mind. On the other hand, in the prayer of quiet described in the last mansion, until the soul has gained much experience, it doubts what really happened to it. Was it nothing but fancy, or was it asleep? Did it come from God or from the devil, disguised as an angel of light? The mind feels a thousand misgivings, and well for that it should, because, as I said, nature may sometimes deceive us in this case. Although there is little chance of the poisonous reptiles entering here, yet agile little lizards will try to slip in, though they can do no harm, especially if they remained unnoticed. These, as I said, are trivial fancies of the imagination, which are often very troublesome. However active these small lizards may be, they cannot enter the fifth mansion, for neither the imagination, the understanding, nor the memory has the power to hinder the graces bestowed on it. I dare venture to assert that if this is genuine union with God, the devil cannot interfere nor do any harm, for his majesty is so joined and united with the essence of the soul that the evil one dare not approach, nor can he even understand this mystery. This is certain, for it is said that the devil does not know our thoughts, much less can he penetrate a secret so profound that God does not reveal it even to us. O oh, blessed state in which this cursed one cannot injure us! What riches we receive while God so works in us that neither we ourselves nor anyone else can impede him! What will he not bestow, who is so eager to give, and who can give us all he desires? You may, perhaps, have been puzzled by my saying, if this is genuine union with God, as if there might be other unions. There are, indeed, not with God, but with vanities, when the devil transports the soul passionately addicted to them. But the union differs from that which is divine, and the mind misses the delight and satisfaction, peace and happiness of divine union. These heavenly consolations are above all earthly joys, pleasures, and satisfaction. As great a difference exists between their origin and that of worldly pleasures as between their opposite effects, 
as you know, by experience. I said somewhere that the one seems only to touch the surface of the body, while the other penetrates to the very marrow. I believe this is correct. I cannot express myself better. I fancy that you are not yet satisfied on this question, but are afraid of deception, for spiritual matters are very hard to explain. Enough, however, has been said for those who have received this grace, as the difference between divine union and any other is very striking. However, I will give you a clear proof which cannot mislead you, nor leave any doubt whether the favor comes from God or no. His Majesty brought it back to my memory this very day. It appears to me to be an unmistakable sign. In difficult questions, although I think I understand them and am speaking the truth, I always say, it appears to me. For, in case my opinion is wrong, I am most willing to submit to the judgment of theologians. Although they may not have had personal experience in such matters, yet, in some way, I do not understand. God, who sets them to give light to his church, enables them to recognize the truth when it is put before them. If they are not thoughtless and indevout, but servants of God, they are never dismayed at his mighty works, knowing perfectly well that it is in his power to perform far greater wonders. If some of the marvels told are new to them, yet they have read of others of the same kind, showing the former to be possible. I have had great experience as to this, and have also met with timid, half-instructed people whose ignorance has cost me very dear. I am convinced that those who refuse to believe that God can do far more than this, and that he is pleased now, as in the past, to communicate himself to his creatures, shut fast their hearts against receiving such favors themselves. Do not imitate them, my sisters. Be convinced that it is possible for God to perform still greater wonders. Do not concern yourselves as to whether those who receive these graces are good or wicked, as I said. He knows best, and it is no business of yours. You should serve him with a single heart and with humility, and should praise him for his works and wonders. Let us now speak of the sign which proves the prayer of union to have been genuine. As you have seen, God then deprives the soul of all its senses, that he may better imprint in it true wisdom. It neither sees, hears, nor understands anything while the state lasts, which is never more than a very brief time. It appears to the soul to be much shorter than it really is. God visits the soul in a manner which prevents its doubting, on returning to itself, that it dwelt in him, and that he was within it. And so firmly is it convinced of this truth, that although years may pass before this favor recurs, the soul can never forget it, nor doubt the fact. Setting aside the effects left by this prayer, to which I will refer later on, the conviction felt by the soul is the main point. But you may ask, how can a person who is incapable of sight and hearing see or know these things? I do not know. I do not say that she saw it at the time, but that she perceives it clearly afterwards, not by any vision, but by a certitude, which remains in the heart, which God alone could give. 
I know of someone who was unaware of God's being in all things by presence, power, and essence, yet was firmly convinced of it by a divine favor of this sort. She asked an ill-instructed priest of the kind I mentioned to tell her in what way God dwelt within us. He was as ignorant on the subject as she had been before our Lord revealed to her the truth, and answered that the Almighty was only present in us by grace. Yet so strong was her conviction of the truth learned during her prayer that she did not believe him and questioned other spiritual persons on the subject, who confirmed her in the true doctrine, much to her joy. Do not mistake and imagine that the certainty of God's having visited the soul concerns any corporal presence such as that of our Lord Jesus Christ, who dwells in the Blessed Sacrament. Although we do not see him, it relates solely to the divinity. If we did not see it, how can we feel sure of it? That I do not know. It is the work of the Almighty, and I am certain that what I say is the fact. I maintain that a soul which does not feel this assurance has not been united to God entirely, but only by one of its powers, or has received one of the many other favors God is accustomed to bestowing on men. In all such matters, we must not seek to know how things happened. Our understanding could not grasp them. Therefore, why trouble ourselves on the subject? It is enough to know that it is He, the all-powerful God, who has performed the work. We can do nothing on our own part to gain this favor. It comes from God alone. Therefore, let us not strive to understand it. Concerning my words, we can do nothing on our own part. I was struck by the words of the bride in the canticles, which you'll remember to have heard, the king brought me into the cellar of wine, or placed me, I think she says. She does not say she went on her own accord, although telling us how she wandered up and down seeking her beloved. I think the prayer of union is the cellar in which our Lord places us when and how he chooses, but we cannot enter it through any effort of our own. His majesty alone can bring us there and come into the center of our souls. In order to declare his wondrous works more clearly, he will leave us no share in them except complete conformity of our wills to his and abandonment of all things. He does not require the faculties or senses to open the door to him. They are all asleep. He enters the innermost depths of our souls without a door as he entered the room where the disciples sat, saying, Pax Vobis. And as he emerged from the sepulcher without removing the stone that closed the entrance. You will see farther on in the seventh mansion, far better than here, how God makes the soul enjoy his presence in its very center. O oh, daughters, what wonders shall we see if we keep ever before our eyes our own baseness and frailty, and recognize how unworthy we are to be the handmaids of so great a Lord, whose marvels are beyond our comprehension. May he be forever praised. Amen.